Colossians chapter 1. Have your Bible open and have the notes there so that you may be guided thereby. Let them know your need and uh, receive what they have to offer you. As you know, Paul wrote the book of Colossians. This book is uh, one that helps people, particularly who have been enslaved by the traditions of men, who have been caught up in ritual, and who, because of that, have been serving God out of fear rather than out of love. So there's a lot of help in the book of Colossians for many of us. And this first chapter has no less than five divisions in it, all beginning with the word preeminent. And as you look at the introduction that we have given you on the notes, you will discover why we use that word preeminent. Many people today, like the false teachers that were residing in Colossae, will give Jesus a place of eminence, which means he is equal with Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad. He is a prophet. He is a man of God. He is a teacher. They give him eminence, but they do not give him preeminence. There's a vast difference. We give Jesus preeminence. The Bible gives him preeminence. He is greater than, mightier than, more powerful than all of the others combined. He is God incarnate, and he is preeminent. He's not a great man among great men. Oh, how I chafe with that statement. That Jesus is a great man among great men. He's far more than that. He's the greatest of the great. He is preeminent over all. He's the Son of God with power. So we have these five divisions in chapter 1 of Colossians, all beginning with the word preeminent. Christ's preeminence shows up in several ways in this wonderful passage of Scripture, and we are going to touch on them, each one briefly, tonight. First, open your Bible and notice how Paul begins this wonderful book. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Just take that term, by the will of God, for a moment. How wonderful to know you're in the will of God. How wonderful to know you're a bookkeeper by the will of God, an accountant by the will of God, a preacher by the will of God, a barber by the will of God, an engineer by the will of God, a salesman by the will of God. Whatever it is, thank God His blessing can be upon it. And we can say, I am where I am by the will of God. Do you understand that? Can you say that tonight? I know I am where I am by the will of God. 
I was brought here by the will of God. I remain here by the will of God. I'm thrilled to be in the will of God. Hallelujah. Friend, if you're not in the will of God, get into the will of God. If, you're no, if you know that you're not walking where you should walk, then for heaven's sake, move over and get on the path where you can say, as Paul said, by the will of God. It's wonderful to be able to say that. And then in verse 2, he says to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Oh, how beautiful is that statement, and faithful brethren. There are so many faithful brethren right here in front of me tonight. Bless you. I ought to write you a letter like this. There is nothing so meaningful to the church of Jesus Christ and to a community like ours than to have faithful brethren. And sisters, you're not cut out of that. That's just a term. We're not talking about the gender now. To all of the faithful, we bless and we thank God for every one of you. You're here when the doors are open. You're serving, you're giving, you're praying, you're involving yourself, and eternity will crown you because of your faithfulness. Paul, when thinking about these believers, though he was in prison as he writes this, he cannot help but think of the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. And no matter where I go, and no matter what I am involved in, constantly in my mind, are the faithful brethren in Sacramento who lift my spirit and encourage my life and make this church go and make this church be what it is. God bless you, faithful brethren. You are important to God's kingdom and to me. And I say with Paul, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two great gifts you can't buy down at a store, grace and peace. May you have them, all of you, and may it be a daily experience as you walk with God to have grace and to have peace. Now, the first preeminent here is that he is preeminent in the gospel message. Notice verse 18 of chapter 2, if you will. Let no one defraud you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. This verse indicates that in Colossae there were many false teachers who had a message, but their message had no power in it. They taught about angels. They taught about emanations from God. They taught about legalistic rules, bodily disciplines, and so on. But their message had no power to transform lives. Into this kind of a setting, Paul interjects the preeminent one. He reminds them of how they were saved, how they came to Christ, as you see in verse 7. He reminds them of the evidences of their salvation in three verses, four, five, and eight. He reminds them of Paul's prayer for their growth in verses nine through 12. All very important ingredients to speak of the preeminence of Christ in a city 
where there were many false teachers and false ideas and false notions about God and about religion. I think the summary statement of this whole section would be the statement in verse number 10 where Paul says to these believers, walk worthy of the Lord. And I would like to say to those of you here tonight that there is no greater commission that I could give to you or anyone else could give to you than this commission. Walk worthy of the Lord. When people come to you espousing doctrine that lifts up man, remember you're to walk worthy of the Lord. You're never to serve man. You're always to serve him who is preeminent above all and over all. There is an element in society today that causes people to bow down to men, even in religious realms, even in the church. But Paul brings us back to reality when he says, walk worthy of the Lord. No one else deserves praise. No one else deserves worship. No one else deserves allegiance like Jesus Christ does because he's the preeminent one. He is the focus of the gospel message. And there must be from our hearts always and from our lips always praise and adoration to him who has redeemed us by his grace and has called us out of sin into the marvelous light. Walk worthy of him is the challenge of the Apostle Paul in this first section of this great book. It is apparent as we study Colossians that Paul had not personally visited this church, but he had heard from Epaphras the good news of their salvation. That name occurs in verse number 7. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister. Epaphras apparently had heard the gospel of Christ from Paul when he was ministering at Ephesus and had taken this message back to Colossae. Isn't it wonderful how God works that sort of thing out? That a person will hear the gospel in one place and his life is changed and he goes from there home or wherever the direction of the Spirit is and there he brings that message of hope and life and another church is raised up and another group of people are inspired to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Epaphras, in this case, went home. Witnessing begins at home. Epaphras gave them the word of truth at home. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Epaphras learned that quickly from his teacher, the Apostle Paul. And he went there to teach them how to walk worthy of the Lord. Another word for this would be how to be fruitful in our walk with the Lord. Before we move to the second preeminent, would you look with me at the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus teaches a parable to his disciples in regard to fruit-bearing. 
or productive living or productive service. Matthew chapter 13. You will recognize as you open to that particular passage that it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. In verse 23, he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. One who heard, and then one who understands, and then one who, what, produces. There's the three steps. You hear, the Spirit helps you to understand, and you produce fruit. Then the parable of the wheat and the tares comes into play in this passage of Scripture, and the next section is the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven and the prophecy and the parables of Jesus and the parable of the hidden treasure, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What is all of this saying to us? That there is nothing so valuable as this message of the gospel. There is nothing so powerful as this that Jesus Christ proclaims. There is nothing is so transforming as this wonderful message of life that Jesus Christ introduces. And there's nothing in the world that you can invest your life in that is more bountiful and more fruitful than the life that bears the message of Jesus Christ day by day, one who has heard it, one who has understood it, and one who produces by what he has heard and what he has understood in the world in which he is a part. Jesus Christ wants that out of us, my friend. And this passage is encouraging these believers in Colossae to enter into that kind of life by walking worthy of the gospel that has been proclaimed to them. Somebody has said it, and it's so elementary, I probably shouldn't even take this moment for it, but it is this, that the only Bible that many people read is the Bible according to you and me. It's the Bible wrapped up in our shoe leather. And unless they see it in you, and unless they see it in me, they will never see it, and they will never hear it. And the message of this first chapter is to walk worthy of the calling that God has given to us, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's our mandate. Now that's going to take some time. That's going to take some effort on your part. It's going to take setting aside these times when we get together for study, to be there with your Bible and your notebook and take in and function as a true believer in Jesus Christ and go out to produce that which he wants you to produce. You see, friends, he's not going to send angels to do it. He's not going to send Michael or Gabriel to do it. He has planted on the earth millions of us who know this book, at least in part, and know him to bear the fruit that he wants us to bear wherever we go throughout the week. The preeminent one comes to us asking us to bear this message and walk worthy of it, producing for his glory. I challenge you to be one. And don't sit there making excuses. 
saying, well, I don't know enough. Learn John 3.16. That's better than a lot of folk in this world. Start there. Be faithful to these studies, to the church that teaches and trains and equips, and we will see a mighty harvest, I believe, as we walk worthy of him who has called us from darkness to light. Jesus then is preeminent in the cross in verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It is his cross that causes Jesus to stand out head and shoulders above any other person in history. Other religious leaders have died, but only Christ, God's Son, died on a cross for the sins of the whole world. Nobody else has done that. The picture in these verses is that of a great general setting a nation free from bondage and moving the people into a new land that is absolutely theirs with all kinds of blessing therein. Do you see it here? He's delivered us from darkness, translated us into another kingdom. Glory to God. I'm glad I know where I belong. And it's not out there where sin reigns. It's in that new land that flows with milk and honey. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, I have been transplanted from one into the other. And that ought to put the joy in your soul and the glory of God on your face. You may live in a shack as far as where you go home tonight is concerned. But you've got information that nobody else has about your true land. You have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And you have property that they don't know about. And you're going to inhabit it for the ages of eternity. And what does that for us? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank God for the cross. It raises its head high above everything else. Not even an angel died to redeem sinners. Only the preeminent one did that. Only this one who called himself God did that. This one who was misunderstood, misrepresented, but who said, I am who I am. If he's in your life tonight, you have a property and a country that a lot of folk don't know anything about. Rejoice in it. It's because of the cross that you can do that. Verses 15 through 17 talk about his preeminence in creation. A lot of folk wonder about whether he was there in the beginning. Just look at these verses. All things were created through him and for him. Verse number 16, last statement. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him. All things consist. Now, that word A-L-L simply means all. All things. He was there to create all things. With God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, the Gnostic teachers claimed that God made the worlds through a series of emanations from himself and that Christ was one of these emanations. It's amazing how many doctrines and concepts and ideas can float around 
and in Colossae there was a bundle of them. And so Paul had to set the record straight, and this ought to be in every science book in our schools. These verses ought to be there. By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. If you want something that's scientific, there it is. But you have to take it by faith. I have. And I have no problem at all with this matter of where everything came from. I believe there is progression within species, but I know where it all got started. It was started by the preeminent one. He made all things, and out of him all things consist. And that ends it for me. That's all I need to know. Very God himself was there, creating, making. And then he came down to redeem it all by giving his own life. That's what's so beautiful, isn't it? He came down and bought it all back by his own blood. Would you permit me a story I've told before, but I haven't told it for a long time. Some of you are new, so you haven't heard it. Story of the little boy whose father made him a little wooden ship, specially carved it for his son. He was so thrilled to get it. He took it down to the little creek near their home, and he put it in the creek, and he ran along the shore as his little ship moved its way down the creek. The only thing he didn't counter was the swiftness of the stream, and that thing got to going faster and faster, and it got carried out away from the shore into water that this little fellow would not dare go in, and pretty soon it vanished from his view down that creek and was gone, and he went home weeping because his ship that his father had made for him was no longer. Sometime later, he and his father were walking down the street of their little town, looking into windows, and as they passed this particular shop, this little fellow's eyes bugged out and he jerked his father to a stop and he said, Father, there's my ship. And as they looked in the window, sure enough, there was that wooden ship that his father had carved for sale in the window of that shop. Someone had evidently found it way downstream, brought it into the pawn shop and got a few dollars for it. The little fellow, before his father could say anything to him, pulled away and burst through that door and said to the man, that's my ship, I want my ship. By now his father had come in behind him to intervene, calmed him down and said to the shopkeeper, how much for that little ship? He paid him, placed the ship in his son's hands and with joy and glee, he walked out onto the street with his own ship. And as they walked along the street that day, the little fellow looked up into his daddy's face and he said, Daddy, it's twice mine. You made it and you bought it again. Well, my friends, that's exactly what these verses in Colossians are saying. He made it with his own power. 
And then he came down and he bought it all again so that you and I could live in joy and victory and triumph and walk worthy of his name. I don't know any story like it in all the world. Hallelujah. He is the preeminent one, preeminent in creation, preeminent in salvation, preeminent in the gospel, above all and above all that man could ever dream. Preeminent in the church. Verses 18 through 23. And he's the head of the body, the church. In all things he may have the preeminence. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Oh, hallelujah. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. Now stop right there a minute. Here's a very key verse. It appears by this verse that Paul is saying that after Pentecost, through martyrdom, through pressure, the church was scattered. Paul himself took three major missionary journeys. Other disciples of the Lord went throughout the known world preaching and declaring truth. And now Paul says, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Incredible. It appears by that statement that every person that was alive in the day of this writing had had the opportunity to hear the message of the gospel. I marvel at that when there was no television, no radio, no newspaper, it was dangerous travel, perilous journey, difficult terrain, but the church of Jesus Christ fanned out because they had met this preeminent one who was the head of the body, the church, and there was no sacrifice too great, no journey too far, no tribe so far gone that they were not willing to go and proclaim the head of the church to them so that Paul could say, every creature under heaven has heard this message. What a challenge to us today when we've got all the modern means, when we have all of the opportunity that we have before us, the knowledge, the complete word of God in our hands, and yet we don't seem to be motivated like this early church was motivated to get the job done. His resurrection became for them a title to the throne of preeminence. They knew they had a hotline to heaven. They had a hotline to the head of this whole thing, Jesus Christ. And they were willing to risk life and limb in order to bring his name to everybody, the body, 
We're part of it. Christ made peace between Jews and Gentiles and reconciled both into one body, the church. As I look out at you tonight, you're one body. Doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what nationality you are, in Christ we are what? One body with him as the head. Oh, what an organization. What an organism. False teachers were spinning cobwebs of doctrine about angels and all kinds of things, but Christ still has preeminence as the head of the church, the firstborn of creation and of the dead. Priority and sovereignty are his. And they were so taken up with this message following his resurrection that they could say in this passage that the gospel which you heard was preached to every creature under heaven. Folk, let's get with it. Let's take that as a challenge. Let us not let anybody in Sacramento go out of this life without having heard from us that Jesus Christ is alive. Hallelujah. What do you say? Let's double our efforts. Let's teach harder. Let's give more so we can get on television. We're having some important meetings about that so we can reach our community and farther out. We believe there's something this church has to offer and we want to do it by the help of God and directed by the Holy Spirit. So let us redouble our efforts and see what God will do, make him preeminent in the church. And then preeminent in Paul's ministry, verses 24 to 29. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Then he talks about the mystery, and he explains what the mystery is, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, and here it is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He answers that question. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Could you imagine a man saying what he just said in these verses if Jesus was just an emanation? Just kind of a vision, an idea, a thought, a flash in the night. Not on your life. The only way the Apostle Paul would say, I suffer and I labor is knowing that he was who he said he was, the eternal Son of God with power. That's what makes Jesus so wonderful. In Paul's ministry and in Paul's life, he was the preeminent one. As Christ suffered, so Paul suffers for others. Paul's ministry seems to center in this mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory, a tattered bunch of folk, people who were in sin, some who were alcoholics, some who were involved in adulterous affairs, some who were cheating, some who were thieves, 
Some who have spent time in prison and jails. You know, it's all here. Hallelujah. It's all here. Oh, if you only knew the story up and down your row. <laughs> but now we've entered into the mystery. What is it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. For that I'm willing to give my life. For that I'm willing to labor. For that I'm willing to suffer. For that I'm willing to lay down my life. That in people like you, the hope of glory may be found and may be seen. Oh, friends, this is a wonderful gospel that we have. This is a wonderful story that we share. And in simplistic terms, it is in that old chorus we used to sing, Jesus is all I need. He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all that I need. And the second verse goes, I love him so, I love him so, I love him so. And the third verse is, he's coming soon. He's coming soon, I know. He's coming soon. Tonight in closing, it may be that you are suffering for Christ's sake. It may be that you are enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In so doing, do not substitute man's rules. Do not substitute man's disciplines and religious rituals for the fullness that we have in Jesus Christ. Do not go back to the beggarly elements of this world. There's nothing there. We have found the preeminent gospel. We have found the preeminent creator. We have found the preeminent ministry. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's nothing back there. Keep moving on. Keep trusting. Keep confiding. Keep on believing. Keep on hanging on. God will never let you down. God will never let you fall. Paul's ministry was not in his own power, nor can ours be. Paul's life was not in his own strength, nor can ours be. God worked in him, and then he went out to work for God. Friends, it may be tonight that some of you have been struggling, trying to hang in there, Trusting God for deliverance. Let me tell you, it's worth the fight. It's worth the effort. It's worth the struggle. I just want to encourage you tonight to keep on keeping on. I have stood by many a bedside just before people have slipped into the other world. I have stood by enough of them to believe in that great song in our hymn book, it will be worth it all when we see Christ. Life's trials will seem so small when we see him. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. Friends, remember, we're winners. 
We have the preeminent one living in us. We have nothing back there to go to. We have everything in the world to live for and everything to look forward to. And as Paul's testimony here in Colossians 1 reaches us, let us redouble our efforts to make our life count for Christ and for eternity. The world is offering a lot of fancy things. The world is giving us many false Christs and many false ideas, false religions. It's not something new we need. It's something old, renewed in us that we need. And I ask you to be renewed in the spirit of Jesus Christ tonight. Let's bow our hearts and our heads together in prayer. Lord Jesus.